Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mind Controllers, a podcast about shining the light on the psychological aspects behind some of my favorite video games, some of our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Moreno, joined by my co-host, Brandon Croft, and today we'll be talking about Persona 5. Yeah. So real quick, before we jump into Persona 5, just a spoiler warning, we will be getting into like heavy, heavy spoilers. Um, also, this is a, you know, a fictional story, so anything we talk about here, you know, really just talking about, you know, characters that don't exist, so... You know, just yeah. just a heads up. Um, yeah, this so is a small description informal. of this game. So. Yeah, yeah. So you know, don't take it seriously, right? We love Persona Five. You know, we're here just to to share our passion, um, mm-hmm. and I hope you you guys like it too. So yeah. yeah, should I just start off with the small description? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think like you know, we want to say a description of this game for anyone who hasn't played Persona Five, and then also. Um, there's a lot of people who might be listening to this who just haven't played video games in general. So uh, mm-hmm. the description might feel a little like geared towards a non-gamer, even though you are a gamer. But yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way just uh, to, to give everyone to get everyone on the same playing field here. Yeah, no, that makes sense, right? Um, okay. So yeah, let me start with the description and you can jump in. I mean, you know, we have all those notes, right? Um, so Persona 5 is a turn-based RPG, you know, role-playing game. Mixed with dungeon crawling, social simulator, and visual novel. So what that means is, you know, you're going to be navigating dungeons. They're called uh, palaces, right? Um, running into enemies, you know, and how you fight the enemies is uh, turn-based, meaning, you know, you take a turn, the enemy takes a turn. Uh, you know, you hit a weakness, you get an extra turn to attack. Um, Persona 5 has something called the baton system, which is essentially, hey, let me pass, you know, this boost I have, right? You hit a weakness. I think you get a boost in attack and recovery, right? So you use the baton pass, pass it to one of your teammates, and uh, you beat the enemy by depleting their life bar. You know, you lose if you lose your life bar. So you hit them harder than they hit you, right? Uh, the social simulator aspect comes in when you're meeting characters in the world, you know, or talking to your party members, right? Getting closer to them. There's the confidant system, which is basically, hey, we're making friends, you know, and our friends are have their own levels as well, right? Level one, two, three. You know, you get some benefit depending on what level that is. And you really do that by just hanging out, you know, picking the the, the right conversation pieces and, and everything, you know, to strengthen your party, to strengthen your bonds, right? And that plays into the gameplay and it makes you stronger. You can summon personas, which are basically like, you know, uh, powers. You know, so it strengthens, it strengthens you as you make friends and, and continue with that. Yeah, I mean, is there anything you want to add? Um, yeah, I feel like the baton system is like kind of unique. Oh, I mean, uh, the calling it baton system is like kind of unique to Persona, at least as far as like some of the RPGs I've played. And that feels like it's a pretty fun and cool mechanic that sets it apart from some other ones. I feel like the combat system in Persona 5 is um, is is just really good um, compared to some of these other RPGs. It's a bit more dynamic. Um, it flows better and uh it it makes it interesting and then interweaving that with like the life simulation mechanics of like just hanging out as a high schooler and talking with your friends is yeah it's really fun right and it makes you stronger right yeah we want strong personas that's for sure (laughs) yeah hanging out with your friends makes you stronger yeah um, okay. but but yeah like you mentioned it it is it's it's a weird like dichotomy of this action like turn-based rpg of choosing which attacks and who to attack paired with this very text heavy dialogue heavy gameplay the visual novel 
right? The visual novel, yeah. And mm-hmm. um, when you combine them, you, you would think that maybe that wouldn't really work too well together. But in this game, um, they're just integrated seamlessly and it flows very well. It's very satisfying to play and you feel like you're actually building relationships with like some of these characters that um, that you're playing with and talking to. And yeah, it, it's great. Yeah. yeah, some of the other things, uh, you know, this takes place in like modern day Japan. Um, I forget. Do you remember exactly what city in Japan it was? Uh, Tokyo, right? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It it was Tokyo, yeah. and then you had the different prefectures that you could go through. Right, because I think Shibuya is uh, right is where like the mm-hmm. gun shop is, you know, all those shops, the big Big Bang Burger as well, right? <laughs> and it's called. Um, yeah. I hope it's called that. Yeah, there's a gun shop that the high schoolers get access to in this game yeah <laughs> in japan they're, they're right? toy guns and yeah the the personas which is like a another interesting mechanic they're kind of like uh, i i feel like this is minimalizing it but they're kind of like pokemon like demon pokemon that you could like kind of catch and mm-hmm. um fuse and like train um to fight with you and they they get each persona that you have equipped will have like a special ability and um that you know kind of changes the combat mechanics a bit right um right they all have their weaknesses strengths right um Mm -hmm. abilities you know there's a lot to it right um and i don't want to disregard uh shin megami tensei as well you know that's where it all started Mm -hmm. right well megami tensei whatever started back in whatever right um right yeah i mean it really is, you know, you're collecting these personas, right? You're making yourself stronger. You're, you're able to fuse them. I don't think we talked about fusion, right? Um, right, right. So That's a very fun mechanic. Fuse, yeah, it's super fun because you can get stronger personas, right? You get their abilities, their moves, right? And then you just, mm-hmm. you know, just steamroll through a lot of things, right? And New Game Plus, right? You just have all these personas you've collected throughout the whole game, you know, when you yeah. start a New Game Plus. And it's, all, yeah. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah no, it, it really is. Um and you collect these personas. Did we talk about the palaces and mementos and stuff? Like, I think I just mentioned them, but no, go for it. Okay. Yeah, Take I guess away. just to give a, a bit more context into like the gameplay, um, you traverse these places. Well, there, there's two places. One of them is called a memento, and that's um, for the psychology people out here who are listening. Um, that's like the uh, Carl Jung's collective, collective unconscious, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it collective conscious? It's unconscious. Collective right? unconscious. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's yeah, like this physical manifestation of the collective unconscious. And um, that like works in the game by you like traversing like the Japanese subway system. And um, in there, you could sometimes find other people's like psyches who mm-hmm. might need some help and assistance. And you could run into them and do these little quests. Um, but you're also running into some other personas that you, you fight down there or can like capture. And those are the mementos. Uh, the palaces are a bit more geared towards the uh, specific, like the specific antagonists for the most part, right. where it's like this uh, physical manifestation of that villain's psyche, kind of where they'll enact like their wild fantasies mm-hmm. and harm these other people's psyches, which in turn harms them in the real world. Um, and this is what causes the protagonists to want to stop them because these villains are actually like hurting people even though they're like all in their mind and doing these crazy things to them just in their mind right and then these dungeons these palaces um they're handcrafted right i think the developers like 
planned it all out, right? Because mm-hmm. I think Mementos has a little bit of the uh, randomized like um, level structure, right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. I, I do think the Mementos are randomized for the most. Oh, yeah, no, entirely. I think, I think like there are different levels to them. Like you could go upstairs and downstairs, but and like mm-hmm. some things will happen only on like level five as compared to level three. But the general layout of each level is randomized, I believe. So good. That's a good call. And yeah, I think putting all of that together, uh, this game is heavily influenced by psychology in general. And oh, yeah. uh, this is the fifth game in here. And the I, I think it was like back when the first game came out, there was some interview we found with like the directors where they're talking about their psych influences. And uh, once again, I'm, I'm going to bring them up again. Uh, Carl Jung is like a huge influence on this game. Uh, a lot of the concepts that he created were turned into actual like video game mechanics in here. So yeah, I think with that note, maybe giving them a little uh, background, a little history on good old young could help, help us understand where, where they were coming from when building this game. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Before we get to that, do you want to, do you want to talk about why we picked the persona five first? Oh yeah. I mean, like, I think it boils down to like, cause we're, it, it's such a psych influence game, psychology yeah. influence game. And, uh, we both, you know, we met in grad school, have our masters in clinical psychology. Uh, you're an actual therapist right now. <laughs> I am associate, not. right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't, yeah. I'm not licensed yet. Yeah. Oh but, yeah, yeah. But I, you're on your way and uh, <laughs> I, I, you're definitely going to get there compared to me who's doing data right now. So um, either way, we're both really into psychology and uh, this game kind of fused both of them, uh, like fused our love for video games and psychology into one thing. So I think this was the main reason this was our natural first choice for a game to discuss. But yeah, was there anything else? No, I think, you know, we're both, you know, clinical psych majors, right? Um, persona i've played i think i've played all of them at least the main line and that includes one two part one two part two right three mm-hmm. four just, just you know i spent a lot of time with these games right and then it really you know i just want to say that it really impacted me in a way of like you know what let me look at psychology as a major in, in my undergrad right persona 4 was the game that made me do that um like look more into psychology seriously um, so these mm-hmm. games felt, you know, these games like hold a special place in them. and they're long Absolutely. games. So, you know, they're kind of like companions in a way, right? Like when, when I played Persona 1, I was in a different space than I am, <laughs> you know, as we're talking about Persona 5 now, right? Persona 5 yeah. Royal. Anything you want to add or you, you think we're, we're good to move on to a little bit about Carl Jung? Yeah, no, let, let's, let's tell him about Carl Jung. All right. So. Carl Jung was born on July 26, 1875. He worked with Sigmund Freud, who is considered the founder of psychoanalysis. However, for the podcast sake, we'll be focusing on Jung's work uh, regarding the personas, the shadows, and archetypes, because it, it fits nicely with, with the game. Uh, these concepts mm-hmm. form the basis of the persona series. You know, as the protagonists utilize their personas to defeat shadows throughout multiple dungeons, in this game, palaces, right? And even mementos. You know, so we plan on explaining the concepts to provide some background for those who are unfamiliar a little bit, you know, with, uh, with psychology and Carl Jung. Um, so real quick, you know, we'll go through what an archetype is. So an archetype are, you know, these are the patterns, thoughts, and behaviors within an individual, you know, that strive to be realized in an individual's environment. What can make real? You know, this is expressed as a certain concept. You know, for example, 
An example I have is, you know, a maternal figure who closely matches the child's idealized concept of a mother, which can evoke innate expectations and, and activate the mother's archetype in the child's mind. You know, essentially, you know, the child knows what mom, who or what mom is. So we kind of follow these archetypes. And some of them that we have that, you know, we looked up together, you know, and, and studied as well. Um, the hero, this is an archetype, you know, a character who exists on the fringes of society. You know, the outlaw that rejects the status quo and attempts to change by liberating themselves from oppression. So our main character here in Persona 5 is Joker. Um, that's his mm -hmm. code name. So he kind of fits that archetype, the outlaw. He's considered a criminal, right? He's trying to change society. People view him as a delinquent. Even like at the beginning of the game, you know, he's like outcasted, right? It's like, oh, this guy has a knife. He's crazy. Yeah. It's just a cool dude just trying to get through life, you know? But, you know, he was bestowed the power of the Persona. And mm -hmm. he can fight oppression, you know, by seeing the hearts of his adversaries. So this is where it comes in with the dungeons and the palaces. Um, at the end of the palace, you know, you're, you're seeing those those hearts, those desires, right? To to kind of have the the antagonist change your perspective, right? Of like, hey, what I'm doing is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. So it's changing their oppressive natures. Um, so mm -hmm. Joker does embody that hero archetype, that outlaw archetype, you know, and one that you know. I was looking into was the magician, another archetype, you know, re represents the ability to transform, manifest desires through knowledge, willpower, and understanding of natural laws. So in this game, uh, one of our companions is Morgana, this cat creature, right? And their tarot card is the magician, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I found it interesting because Morgana understands how mementos works, right? How the palaces works, how I think he explains battle to you as well, how the battle works. So yeah. he understands the laws of, you know, what's going on. Right, so this one will, like fit really well, you know. So these are some of the archetypes in the game. You know, there's tons more, right? We don't want to spend like two hours explaining all of them, right? So we'll move on to what a persona is. You no. know, um, but before I do that, do you have any thoughts or anything? Uh, I was just going to mention that. I, how many are there? there's like there's twelve, right? Twelve archetypes. I believe so. Yeah, I just quickly counted them. Yeah, there's twelve, and um, in uh. In the game, uh, there is someone assigned to each archetype, uh, and that that's why we're explaining this right now. It, it feels like the archetype is kind of a core mechanic in the plot of the game uh, because each one's like assigned an archetype. It feels like those characters' plots kind of follow the description of these archetypes. The obvious one is the hero. The main character you play is considered the hero and is doing courageous acts, difficult challenges. So. That's it's integral to like the character design and like the plot of the game. So it it made sense to kind of explain that concept a bit further, which is why we're doing that right now. But uh, yeah, uh, I think the second most important concept is probably going to be the persona right here. Yes. So yeah, the persona, right? This is the, the social mask that we put on to present ourselves to the world. Think about how, you know, I'm going to be different in a professional setting, you know, as a, as an associate therapist, right? I'm not going to be, you know, light and like, you know, outgoing. No, no way, right? That's not my, that's not my persona when I work with clients, you know, uh -huh. um, sure. versus, you know, casual setting, you know, when we're hanging out, right? Um, yeah. It's totally different, right? So it's, it's sort of, you know, the mask, the facade we put up to deal with life. So an individual puts on this mask to fit the environment or the situation they're presented with. You know, young endorsed that a persona conceal the true nature of the individual. So we have this true nature, right? Maybe the the, the person that we see in private, right? Like kind of like you know who who we are with no one around. We're using these personas outside in the real world, and if we move on to the shadow, 
Yeah. Which is, these are considered the negative aspects of an individual that remain hidden. You know, things that you hide from other people, you know. Um, this concept is taken further in Persona 4 as you, you know, you fight your own literal shadow, right, to gain your persona. And when you mean, when I mean fight, it's, um, you accept them, right? You still do a boss fight. Yeah, you still fight them. But at the end, you know, you accept, you know, who you are, your shadow, the negatives, uh, to make that, to make that person whole, right? And that gives you the power of the persona. And Persona 5, I don't think it's like that. I don't believe and it's been a couple years since we've, I think we both played this game, right? Yeah. But, you know, I've had, what i think persona 5 role was my third playthrough of persona 5 so um you know i'm trying to dig up those memories but yeah you know that for you know archetypes personas and shadows anything you want to add yeah no um i think that's perfect i didn't know that you would fight the persona in order to take control of it because yeah i don't remember doing that in persona 5 and persona 5 was my first uh persona game i played so uh, mm. i wasn't familiar with any of the mechanics before this game so yeah you, you said in previous games you would have to fight the persona in order to in four in four yeah so in four uh... the way that worked was like one of the characters would would find them like selves at the end of the dungeon and they would be like you know who are you this kind of stuff right it's them it's their shadow and so the character would be like, no, I wouldn't say those things, right? Because the shadows are the negative aspects. Um, and so mm-hmm. when that happens, you know, the, the shadow turns into a boss, right? And you have to defeat the boss. And at the end of the boss fight, you know, the character chooses if they're going to accept their shadow or not. Um, I don't want to spoil Persona 4. We're going to spoil Persona 5. We'll get to Persona 4 some <laughs> other time, I'm sure. <laughs> sure, um, sure. But yeah, that's, that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah. Ah, oh, okay. And then does it like... I, I mean, that's that's kind of like how the palaces are in uh, Persona 5, I guess, with like the final bosses of each palace being uh, the kind of like the shadow of mm-hmm. that villain. Um, and then yeah. once you beat them, then they <laughs> they chill out like in the real life, like they start becoming normal again. So it's like these the the personas of the villains are kind of like they're i don't know i'm trying to think of like the psych concept so i was gonna say like they're id just kind of like taking over and it's just like what they really want um and then Mm -hmm. by defeating their shadow in the palace it like takes them back down and like was there was there any villain that just didn't i don't know that that didn't become remorseful afterwards and that was still died oh right I mean, we we put a spoiler warning for Persona Five, so uh, <laughs> which which? Oh yeah, we're gonna get into remember? the spoilers. Um, it was uh, I think Haru's dad, right? Okumura, I think his name was. I think he was the fifth boss. Perhaps this is Dang. the one with the mechanized dungeon, the mechanized palace. I don't remember if you remember the robots. The mechan. Oh yes, yes, yes. Damn, he dies afterwards. Yeah, because a character we'll talk about later murdered his shadow so you're not supposed so when you beat the boss you're not killing the boss right so i think we should make that distinction right so the protagonist Mm. beat them into submission basically right that you know oh i can't you know but they don't kill the boss if you kill the boss in this universe it it causes like a a psychotic breakdown and it's made to look like they had a heart attack or some like medical condition right and that's why they passed away but in reality it was somebody who killed their shadow oh my gosh I forgot about a lot of these implications. Oh man. That's <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Especially like the thought of there being like your consciousness is just somewhere that these 
teenagers can enter and then like murder you (laughs) without it ever being shown or like there's just like kind of no evidence of it yeah that's that's really eerie yeah when you put it that way yeah (laughs) we're just assuming yeah i mean thankfully it's fictional (laughs) because we're just assuming that all these kids are like good which is ironic Mm -hmm. because like when you first meet a lot of these characters and a lot of these side characters they're uh one of them in particular ryuji is just painted as like a delinquent like a bad boy even the main character is is portrayed as a delinquent here he is going around saving lives well trying Mm to save lives that's the reason why one of those characters that i'm talking we'll talk about later you know has that kind of love-hate relationship with the main protagonist right he's doing what this guy can't do yeah you know. and, and it's going off of his form of justice, which he feels justified because of his status. And the uh, man, okay, we'll we'll wait till we get there. We'll, because, we'll get there. Uh, yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I I think on that note, we uh, you did a great job, like summarizing Carl Jung's concepts into Persona Five. Well, thank and, you. Appreciate um, it. This game has a lot of characters. There's a lot of people, and. Um, we wanted to talk about all of them. We talked about maybe like mentioning something for every one of them, but it's just like, it's kind of hard to, because each person kind of has their own trauma to unpack and Mm -hmm. so much to dive into just like their history that is discussed off screen of the game, um, that you find out through other like dialogues or like reading, reading stuff about them. So yeah, yeah. We, we had to narrow it down to just like, a two who we felt very motivated by or like inspired by one of which is like the therapist at the school and the other one is a protagonist slash antagonist and i Mm. actually the the therapist is also kind of fits that same uh label of protagonist turned antagonist or or vice versa and uh i i don't know i found that really fascinating and that's kind of what drew me to it the fact that um i I always love when a character like switches sides like freaking zuko Mm -hmm. from avatar the last airbender right um of just like seeing this character from one point of view from like the protagonists hating on them or like uh, having trouble with them um to then like getting them onto their side but um the two characters we're going to focus on are goro akechi Mm -hmm. and maruki who is first name is Takuto. I mean, we can, we can, we can hit, you know, um, I guess the structure of the podcast, right? I mean, we're going to be explaining the character, right? So I'll be explaining Goro Akechi. We have um, a case study, you know, because we both did a clinical psych program and we were thrown case studies left and right, right? So we made our own case studies, you know, and I just want to say, you know, these, these are not real actual, like we're going to give actual real diagnoses, right? These are provisional, you know, this is all for fun fictional yeah. right yeah just the what if they walked into our office and, and i think it should be noted that you know we're using a western lens of psychology right japan is mm-hmm. in the east right they you know they have buddhist psychology and other psychologies as well that we probably didn't study you know so this is our lens and i just want to pre- pre- preface that you know that it's our lens you know what we learned yeah no, no thank you for that uh i great that you mentioned that because yeah a lot of psychology is contextual and and subjective to where you're living and like the standards of the society that you live in. So shit, even video games that like kind of the same thing of where it's like subjective to the standards within the game. Uh, But this is by no means anything formal. We will be like talking about like 
diagnoses and like kind of you know giving them a diagnosis based off of like the way you're su- supposed to quote unquote using um, a dsm right yeah exactly going through the dsm p- picking out examples um or or yeah yeah picking out like examples that fit certain criteria for certain disorders and um yeah but you know the this isn't to say that they for sure have this and we aren't the end-all be-all for video game psychology so some other psychologists might say that they have a different disorder that they don't even have these disorders and like that's completely valid um we're just kind Mm of i don't know having fun with this and yeah so i think uh like like you said we're probably going to talk about the background um of the of each of our characters um and then go into like some of the psychology concepts that are like present in these people's backgrounds and um you know give them the the diagnoses i i we also wrote case studies i'm like still debating if we should just read the case study out loud because a lot of them are just the background information like put together we put a lot of effort into this so i'm like yeah if we i don't, don't mind reading read them, it out yeah, <laughs> even if we don't, I would put them in the show notes anyways. So like people could read it and see what like a, a psych case study is supposed to look like or sound like. No, I agree. So and then after that, we'll we'll give them the diagnoses. And yeah, uh, I do want to mention before we dive into our two characters that there was a third character that we did find very interesting in the game. She is mostly going by uh, Kasumi. And then you find out later on that... Her real name is Sumire, and she was she she was donning the persona or like the personality of her now dead sister, right? Uh, because she couldn't accept that. I forget. It wasn't I mean it wasn't her fault a car ran her over, but like she was somehow involved with it. And if she there was guilt, yeah, right? a lot of guilt, yeah, yeah, shame. Yeah. A lot of guilt and shame. So um, because of that, she started taking on the personality. And there, there's some other stuff that happened that caused her to take on this personality as well. But we figured we were going to be talking about that in like both of our own case studies with our, our two characters that we've chosen. Um, so we decided to skip over it, but wanted to give her an honorable mention because it was pretty fascinating to have this character pretend to be her dead twin sister for the majority of the game. Sounds like a lot of psych stuff going on there and felt like oh, it could have been a deep dive, but, uh, it, and it still could be, but maybe we'll touch on it again later. Maybe. Yeah, I was about to say maybe a later time, right? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So with that being said, I feel like sounds like it's time to dive into, uh, Goro Akechi and what he's been up to, what he's doing and, uh, why he's a bad boy. Oh, he's not that bad, right? <laughs> he's very misunderstood. I love this. I love this character. Okay, so you know, Goro Akechi is a you know seventeen, eighteen year old detective. You know, he's working for the police force, I believe. You know, so a little bit of his background was, you know, his mom was a, and this is going into the wiki, right? So uh, some of this stuff might be up for debate. But mom was a you know a sex worker who was shamed for having a child out of wedlock, and his dad is actually one like the main antagonist, right? Cheeto, right? The guy that we're going after. Or putting the protagonist in jail. Oh, um, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. That's his dad. That's his dad. So this what is the... so Goro Akechi's dad is the main bad guy, right? Whoa. Um, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I, yeah. It's I was that was that blatantly said in the game, and it just went over my head, or like I'm just not remembering it, or was it? It might have been a while. Or... When's the last? When did you play the game? It might have been a while. Twenty. 
19. Okay. 20, at the end of 2019 is when I played it. I believe, or, or wait, when did Persona 5 come out? I think we were still in grad school, out. right? I think so. So Yeah. It came out October 31st, 2019. I'm, I'm pretty sure I played it in like December of 2019 is when I started it. Okay. Okay. So it's been it's been like three and a half, about almost four years, over four years. Okay. Yeah, you're not gonna remember everything. I can tell you yeah. that right now. Like <laughs> I played this game three times, and I'm like, I'm just questioning myself. Yeah, did this happen? Did this, you know, well, yeah. yeah. So no worries there. I mean, and I'm sure we can do another deep dive at the at the wiki again, right? But yeah, so yeah. Shido is his dad, right? His mom, you know, I don't, I don't think they even assigned a character name or anything for her, right? So she's, you know working at the red light district. So what this means is mm-hmm. essentially, you know, she's a sex worker. She would tell Akechi to go like to, you know, a bathhouse to kind of get away from her. You know, she's doing her business and trying to raise a kid, right? She's trying to do the best that she can. Um, but eventually, you know, I think she did take her own life. So that left Akechi, you know, alone. Uh, according to the wiki, you know, um, family, relatives tried to take care of him, but they took no interest in him. And so he was in like the foster care system, right? And so doing a little search history, you know, just searching through the internet, and I'm thinking about the stigma of, you know, illegitimate child in Japan, you know, and traditional Japanese culture, you know, with, I think, you know, wedding, wedding rate in in Japan is pretty low, right? Birth rate, I think, is low as well. Um, So like, what does this look like to be an illegitimate child? Um, So Akechi had to deal with that, whatever that looked like in Japan, right? I'm, I'm sure it wasn't easy family really didn't take an interest in him so he was alone i didn't include too much about um attachment theory do, do you remember attachment theory from from grad yeah. school yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, so well, i was go gonna ahead. say were you about to explain it or give a short no just like i might touch upon it you know when we go through the psych aspects of you know goro akechi we'll, we'll get to that you know so i did a little research non-marital births in japan are rare i think in 2011 2.2 of all children Born, were born to a parent unmarried so it, it's very it, it happens right but it's very rare in japan so with a catchy you know growing up alone essentially without a dad you know, you know mom's gone family doesn't care there's going to be a general distrust and dislike of society because who's taking care of this kid uh no one he's most likely taking care of himself and eventually he finds out who his dad is right and eventually he starts to work for him carrying out these executions right so this is when you know, earlier we mentioned, you know, how um, sometimes a character will kill the boss. Goro Akechi is that character. So Shiro would assign him to assassination runs, basically, right? Like, oh, yeah. this guy doesn't agree with me? Hey, can you go take care of this guy, right? And this is all happening in, like, the metaphysical mementos palace world. So this is not happening in, like, real real life. He, he's running around in somebody's brain, essentially. So Akechi is chained to the past. He has a lot of things that are chaining him to the past. And like I mentioned, you know, essentially he's the executioner for his dad. And the idea is that, you know, hey, I'm going to, once he learns that who his dad is, you know, Shido's his dad. He's working for Shido. He's doing this to get closer to Shido. So eventually, you know, he can take his dad out because he is upset. And rightfully so, you know, he's vengeful, you know, that, hey, mm-hmm. you, you, left, you left his mom, right? Like, you know, he grew up with no one. Right? And, and Shido did not take any responsibility. Um, so that's a little bit of the background, you know, what makes a catchy, a catchy. So some current yeah. info we have during the, you know, this takes place during the game now, how he appears. So a catchy is like, you know, well-mannered, friendly, humble, charismatic, well-dressed, has a strong sense of judgment and justice. He's a detective, right? He can come off as a per- per- perfectionist, but doesn't make, he'll still make a mistake, right? Do you remember how he um, 
you know, the main protagonist, you know, the, the group catches him off guard and in the game, you know, like, hey, he, he's the traitor. It, it's obvious, you know, but like, do you remember that moment? Yeah. In the vaguely, studio? I, oh, man. Kind of. Do you remember um, Pancakes? Do you remember Pancakes? Oh, man, I wish I did because it sounds like a funny inside joke. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so so the way that, you know, the group's like, hey, he had a persona, huh? Because the group were talking in, in the recording studio, right, with Morgana, which is a cat, um, who mm. you can only hear if you have a persona. So mm. Morgana mentioned something about pancakes, right? And so the group are talking about pancakes. I think they're trying to get lunch or something, breakfast, whatever. And Akechi <laughs> overhears, and he's like, did I hear something about delicious pancakes? And they're like, oh, what? yes. Right? Like, how would you know yeah. that? Because the cat said it, right? And you only understand the cat if you have a persona. I forgot about that. So there that. was like that. It, it's kind of silly, right? Because it's like, ha, I caught you. So that's how, you know, we're like, oh, he's a traitor, right? Um, yeah. yeah. The other thing I, I wanted to mention real quick, like, because the reason he has such a strong sense of judgment and justice is because he's like a famous kid detective. So How I he think got he there, feel- I don't yeah. think that's ever explained, right? I don't think so. I I don't remember an explanation for that at all. But like, he's like doing interviews and stuff on talk mm-hmm. shows about like certain cases that he's taken on. And like, I, I forget, was he actually like a lawyer and representing people in like court or something? Or was I don't, he used in a, I don't think a he was a lawyer testimony mm-hmm. or something? Like, I I don't know. Oh, like a expert. What is it called? Not an expert. Wit- is it an expert witness? When, like, you have to get, like, someone to the stand to talk about their expertise, like, to see what they think about this, like, criminal situation. Uh, I I think that might have been, like, kind of what he was doing. But, yeah. Yeah. So, I think because he has this fame, because he's, like, an executioner, an assassin for his dad, he feels like whatever he believes is, like, the correct and just thing. Mm -hmm. Right. You're right about that. Yeah. He sees no flaw. Yeah. I mean, he's like, this is for justice. This is, you know, to make things right. right? Mm-hmm. So he's charismatic. You know, he appears cheery, right? I mean, he's like, mm-hmm. I think they call him this, the, the second coming of the detective prince, which the first detective prince is, again, Persona 4. We could talk about that some other time. But yeah, he doesn't view the, the Phantom Thieves, which are the protagonists, right? Joker, Ryuji, which is, I think his codename is Skull. You know, all those guys, you know, the yeah. protagonists, right? He doesn't view them favorably. Right, he thinks that what they're doing is wrong, despite Akechi, you know, using his own powers to murder. Interesting. Um, so he's the, you know, he's the one that's causing like mental shutdowns in the game initially, right? Because there's one boss you fight, and I think it's Mata Mata Rame. Yeah, and yeah. he asks something about like a guy in a black mask, and mm. the protagonists are dumbfounded. They're like, "What are you talking about?" Right? Like, who? What is going on? But I think that's like the first time where you hear that somebody's using their persona. Yeah, like yeah. to kill. And so it's like, whoa, what's going on? So yeah. near the end of the game, you know, he believes, Akechi believes, you know, this is a way to get revenge on his father. Get him close and then take his life, right? Or get him, maybe he wants an explanation of, you know, why'd you leave Bob? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because this character, he has, he technically has three personas. That's a little off because Joker's the one that has like multiple personas, right? He's the one that can like switch personas left and right. Like, Joker, Akechi, yeah, when you meet him. Yeah, the main character. When you meet Akechi, he has this, I think, Robin Hood persona. Robin Hood, mm. what do you picture when we talk about Robin Hood? Yeah, just, I don't know, just like a sense of justice for the mm. common folk. Yeah, taking from the rich, right, and giving to the poor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a point in the game where 
yeah, that wasn't his true nature, right? Do you, <laughs> and do you remember, like, do you remember that moment in the game where, like, this other persona comes out of him? Like, I think it's, like, striped, and it's, like, you know, red and black, I think. Do you remember that? No, not really. Uh, I'd, I'd have to look at the wiki to <laughs> see what it looks like again. Gotcha. No worries. No worries. But essentially, that is his true persona, and the persona's name is Loki. And Loki mm. exudes power, right? The so this is when Akechi's like, I'm, I'm out. I'm no longer this charismatic, caring, cheery guy. No, I'm going to mess things up and I'm going to mess up Joker right? and his team. And he gives into his, you know, his true nature, right? And even his costume changes because initially his costume was like white, like very prim and proper. Kind of looks yeah. a little bit like a, you know, like a, not a military uniform, but, you know, something like you wouldn't see off the street, you know, it's like someone very well dressed. Mm-hmm. And then once he transforms or he loses control and gives into his true self, it's like black crow type armor. Right. And he's just like disheveled and like, you know, there's just a change in his personality, the way he speaks. He's more on edge. And to see that, it's like, whoa. Right. It's like there's something, you know, going on here with a catchy. That's another reason why I chose him. It's just like that shift. I think mm-hmm. it's really, really interesting. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It made for a good um, antagonist and made for like a more compelling story and more interesting character. I, I mm-hmm. totally agree. Like he, he was fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I love this character. It's so cool. He's so cool. You know, eventually he realizes that Shido manipulated him. So manipulated Akechi, right? Because Akechi finds out like, hey, Shido knew what was going on. And Shido was going to take Akechi out anyways. Mm-hmm. And the way that Akechi learns this is like through Shido's cognition, through the palace, right? True desires come out, whatever. You know, Shido's like, this is what I wanted to do. Win the election, you know, and kill his son, Akechi, right? Yeah. Which is, it's like, what is going on? Yeah. Um, so that's another aspect, you know, like we talked a little bit about his dad. And then the way that Akechi interacts with the, the protagonist, which is the protagonist, Joker, right? He's kind of a blank slate, right? That's the, mm-hmm. that's the character. Like, that's who we're playing, right? So we kind of insert ourselves into this character and do good or whatever. But um, you see Akechi kind of build a bond with the protagonist. And this is like yeah. the first bond he's ever had. So there's a lot of like, you know, Akechi's happy, he's making a friend, right? But there's a point where it turns a little dark. And yeah. Akechi sees him as his rival, sees the protagonist as his rival. Like, hey, you know, you have all, you have friends, you know, it seems like even though the protagonist, you know, he was thrown in jail for what Shido did, right? I don't know if we, you know, should we get into what Shido did maybe in a a little bit? Akechi's like, how can the protagonist who, you know, went to jail, right, is considered a delinquent, right, isn't famous like Akechi, right? How does he have friends and how does he have this structured life and how is he doing good, right? That shouldn't be happening. So Akechi kind of grows like this kind of weird, disorganized attachment to the protagonist. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said there. And so in the third semester, which I wasn't sure if we were going to talk about the third semester, but, you know, since we did the spoiler warning. It's it's fine. Akechi just doesn't care anymore how he's viewed, right? He's just like, whatever. He's like, he's letting it all hang out. You know, he's like delighting in killing shadows, refers to the enemies as scum expresses a desire to kill like the final boss maruki outright like just kill him whatever get it done he just doesn't care anymore and so to see that shift from you know that that character it's just prim and proper at first and you see loki you know the loki phase where he's like he's losing it a little bit you know he's on edge and then in the third semester where he's just like i don't care anymore i don't care how you guys see me i'm just gonna do what i do there's something to be said about that so that's some that was actually a lot of background info on uh yeah. on Goro Kechi. And we haven't <laughs> even gotten to the site concepts. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, anything you want to add before I get to that? 
Uh, no, not really. I just, uh, the more you're talking about it, the more I'm like, damn, I do not remember half of this stuff. It's been so long since I <laughs> played this game. Um, I, I wish I, I wish I remembered more, but no, thank you for like filling that in. No, it, it was definitely helpful. And I, it, it's all coming back as you're saying it. And gotcha. yeah, I, I just fascinated by him. Akechi's character. I really enjoyed like what they did with this character. It's just, yeah. I know I haven't seen anything like this before. Maybe Sephiroth maybe has his own thing going on, right? But that's Final Fantasy. That's somewhere else. Um, <laughs> that's next episode. <laughs> that's next episode. Um, all right, let's move on to some side concepts. You know, going back to Carl Jung, referring to the persona, the mask, like I mentioned, you know, different personas to face the challenges of life. You know, so again, I mentioned Akechi appears charismatic, proper in public. Um, that That is his mask. Mm-hmm. You know, that is the mask he's using. You know, when he's on, up on TV, you know, being the, the detective, right? He's like a celebrity in this universe, you, you know? That's mm-hmm. what he's using. He's using the charismatic energy and nature, right? But the protagonists, they know who Akechi is, right? He, he is not that guy. You know, so again, referring back to the mask, right? The personas. Akechi could control two personas, Robin Hood and Loki. And in, and in the third semester, they fuse. Uh, I don't remember the name of the persona, but I know they fuse, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, the personas are different masks. I think it's like Hayward. I'm going to go on the wiki right now to see. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, so, um, I mean, if, if yeah. you find the the persona. So, mm-hmm. moving a little bit away from, you know, Young. I got some stuff on Freud here. You know, I think you mentioned the id earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So, the id, ego, and superego. So, for those of you that, you know, go ahead. Hear word. Hear word. Hear word. I think okay. if we're going to pronounce it, like, in English <laughs> without the Japanese, like, style. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Is that the one that kind of looks like Batman? yeah i i wonder if i could am i able to share my screen on this i might be able to share my screen no Um, yeah because i read something somewhere where like robin hood kind of appears like like superman at first right because he's he's like all white or something like that oh really yeah there we go and so i think his name is here word right or her word or yeah he kind of looks like batman right yeah, um, he does. He's got yeah, like, let's, the, let's... like the dark suit. Absolutely. There's Robin Hood. So it mm-hmm. kind of looks like the darker version of Robin Hood. No, but I read somewhere like Robin Hood kind of looks like Superman and then here, here where it looks like Batman. Something interesting. I um, could see that. Because their sense of justice is different. The way that they enact justice is different. So a catchy mm-hmm. at first, you know, the detective, prim and proper. And then in the third semester, you know, he just doesn't care. He'll take no prisoners. He doesn't care to get his justice right. Yeah, so just an interesting connection that you know I found online. Yeah. So going back to Freud, the id, the ego, the superego, for you know listeners who aren't clinical psych majors or psych majors in general, right? Um, the id is the impulsive, unconscious part of our psyche that responds to like basic urges, needs, and desires. You know, think of a newborn. Mm-hmm. Do they need to eat? Right? Do they need to go to the restroom? Or whatever. Right? The ego, Freud. You know, Freud said. And it's the rational part of our psyche that mediates between the instinctual desires of the id, right, and the moral constraints of the superego. Yeah. So the ego operates in like the reality, working out realistic ways of satisfying the id's demands while avoiding negative consequences, right? 
So it's like, how can I, you know, make myself happy, you know, without breaking the law, essentially, right? Or giving into like a desire that could get you in trouble. Mm -hmm. And let's see, the superego, this incorporates our values and morals of society, what we're learning from parents or, you know, whoever our role models are. The superego is the part of the unconscious that is uh, the voice of the conscious, you know, and the source of self-criticism. So this is the one that, you know, doing what is right. The morality and all of that. Yeah. So I, you know, all of this to say that Akechi gives into his id. You know, giving into the desire he wants. He wants revenge. He wants to prove himself to Shido. To do so, he's inducing psychotic breakdowns by killing a person's shadow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's doing what he needs to do, right, so that he can get that revenge. When a when Akechi uses Loki, his second persona, you know, he gives into his id. And, and desires to defeat or kill the Phantom Thieves. You know, he's much more unhinged. I even got some of his quotes down here. He's like, fear my power, I'll break them. We must repay blood with blood. I'll tear them apart. Jesus. Compared to like when he's prim and proper, when you have him in the party, you know, when he's using Robin Hood yeah. and he's not, you know, using Loki. He's like, you need my help? Understood. Moving in, I'll do my best, right? Such a like yeah. drastic, you know, change. That's yeah, fascinating. And, I I didn't it realize is. there was a difference in his quotes depending on which persona he had active. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think once you have Loki, I don't think you can go back to Robin Hood actually, because why would he go back to Robin Hood if Loki's his true nature? You know, if it's his true self. Mm. But yeah, I just thought the quotes was interesting. Just like looking through the change, I, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. So let's see. Ed, do you want to add anything before we get into the case study? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Um, yeah, the, those side concepts, that, that was perfect. Thank you for explaining the Freud id, ego, super ego, because I had used that, like, all right, I had talked about it already earlier, but I didn't even explain it. So um, mm. that gives some no, additional context. Uh, so no, I, I'd say um, the, the case study part that we're about, that Joe's about to say is kind of like a summary of all of the uh, examples mm-hmm. that might fit a disorder. I mean, it's not just that. It's it's just like a background. So it's like a extra long paragraph of a condensed background of this character. And right. uh, we, we did these a lot in our clinical psych class where we read a lot of these and then had to like pick out the pieces and give them some sort of like unofficial diagnoses to these fictional characters or not fictional characters but well i mean yeah they were they were just made up people so um yeah so we thought it'd be fun to like kind of do that here and now with these characters as well um to try to bring a little bit of the professional side into this fun informal like video game yeah i'd say go for it okay yeah and real quick you know again this is a case study you know it's not we're it's not real we're not you know going to be like you know mental health is something important to us right i mean we studied clinical psychology you know um so this is not to downplay anything right this is just hey let's pretend the character came into the office right and they give us information and you're gonna have to suspend some disbelief mm-hmm. because you know akechi's killing right he's murdering you know we have tear right and all those like laws that you know protect public right and all that stuff so we're going to have to suspend our our belief for a good amount of this stuff, right? I think even with Maruki as well, right? Absolutely. So let's let's just get into the case study real quick, right? Um, we'll see how this, you know, feels like for podcasts moving forward, right? If we need to change it or whatever. Um, but, you know, I'll just get into it. Sure. Um, so Goro Kechi is an 18-year-old detective living in Tokyo, Japan. Akechi appears proper and charismatic, very eloquent with his words as well. 
Uh, Akechi described his rise to being the second coming of the detective prince and how the public supports what he does in his line of work. However, over time, Akechi's initial prim and proper nature faded away to another side of Akechi that seemed to manifest. Akechi reports complaints of aggressiveness sparked by fits of revenge. According to Akechi, he has taken the lives of his father's enemies. Akechi explained how he avoids detection and hides from the law by committing the murders in the metaverse. Uh, Akechi explained how he destroys the shadow self of his father's enemy, enemies, which causes a psychotic breakdown at worst and ends the target's life. I think psychotic breakdown at best and ends the target's life yeah. at worst, right? Yeah. Yeah, Akechi speaks without any regards to his own safety and the safety of others. According to Akechi, he takes pleasure in fighting enemies referred to as shadows. Uh, he demonstrates, you know, having like joy eliminating, you know, he calls them the shadow scum. He effectively targets their weak points. So language like this, he, you know, Akechi uses. As Akechi details his methods, um, you know, he destroys the shadow. When he destroys the shadows, he cackles and revels and reminiscing on how scared the shadows seem of him. Let's see, Akechi has reported, you know, little to no social support besides one friend he recently met in the past year. Uh, according to Akechi, he's never had any friends and his family relations are, are pretty much non-existent. So according to Akechi, previous clinicians have discussed with him like a diagnosis of conduct disorder in his early teenage years, so getting in trouble. Uh, when he when asked if he could, if he, uh, that he learned he could use his powers to inflict harm on others, uh, he prefers to use them as a weapon, essentially. He learned how to intimidate others from the brief interactions he had with his father. And within the, you know, within the past year, Akechi learned that he enjoys being physically cruel towards the shadows, right? I mean, he's using that type of language, reveling in, in destroying his enemies. He mentioned that his long-term goal is to get even with his father and make him pay for his mother's death over, you know, the tumultuous childhood he had. And he described, you know, his mom taking her life at, a, at an early age. And this is something Akechi can't forget can't forget and can't forgive mm -hmm. so he doesn't meet you know so i was looking at the dsm for antisocial personality right because you know he's breaking the laws right so we'll just go through you know what i have here so the essential feature of the antisocial personality disorder is a pervasive pattern of disregard and violation of the rights of others that begins in childhood or early adolescence and continues into adulthood so for this diagnosis to be given the individual must be at least age 18 uh, must have a history of some symptoms of conduct disorder before age 15. So this is kind of where we have to suspend the disbelief because we don't really know what Akechi was doing when he was 15, right? We don't get that context. Yeah. So, uh, you know, even, you know, you know, this is fictional. I wouldn't be comfortable with like saying, oh yeah, he has a conduct disorder, give him antisocial, right? Personality, right? But this is kind of like provisional, right? We're just looking at it, what it could be. We're not saying this is what it is. And other reasons to kind of indicate an antisocial personality disorder is to failures to conform to social norms with respectful, lawful behavior. He's performing acts for arrest. I mean, he's murdering people, right? Mm -hmm. Individuals with antisocial personality disorder tend to be irritable and aggressive, uh, which may repeatedly, they may repeatedly get into physical fights or commit acts of physical assault, which is what's happening, right? Again, this is more antisocial, right? The indifference to, you know, hurting others, uh, mistreating others, or stealing from others. You know, there's a point where I mentioned earlier where he just lets it all hang out. He doesn't care, right? He doesn't care who he hurts. He doesn't care about shadows. He wants to just kill Maruki. Yeah. So, those, so, 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 things, so those are some of those things that kind of indicate this. I was looking at conduct disorder, you know, it, it doesn't fit a catchy. We don't have enough information, right? Meaning that antisocial kind of, you know, we, we couldn't even give a diagnosis of that. Mm -hmm. But this is what kind of like, you know, going through a catchy's backstory, you know, the case study. This is kind of what, you know, we need more information. 
So this is what I have here is antisocial, right? What do you think? Anything to add? Um, no, no. Uh, I think antisocial kind of makes sense given his like disregard for human life. Um, mm -hmm. He, yeah. uh, when I think of antisocial personality disorder, one of the main things I think of is this like a disregard for human life, and it's clearly showing with a catchy willingness to just like kill whoever. I don't know, without fear of consequence. Right. Well, you can't, you can't get caught, right? And yeah. who's going to prove the metaverse, which eventually they do prove mm -hmm. it, right? Because I think Joker gets arrested, right? And they're all like, he didn't kill anyone, and they prove it somehow. Oh, it's, this is anime, yeah. right? So whatever yeah. anime logic they <laughs> used, right? It's it's, it's so yeah. weird and, and difficult to follow, right? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's like, how would you do this in the real world? Yeah, we don't need to worry about that. It's all fake. Yeah, no, nothing to add. Yeah, I remember you talking about conduct disorder for him initially, but that's interesting that didn't quite meet that criteria. And not even right. for antisocial as well, really. There's just not enough info. You know, the wiki can only do so much, and then yeah. I don't think we can replay the game in our time. We just don't have the time. Right? It's uh, Yeah, I, I put like 140 hours in one playthrough, and I cannot imagine how many hours you have put over three. So over three, to, yeah. to replay it right now is, is a little unrealistic. But um, yeah, I, I also feel like a lot of the time, uh, like with a lot of these diagnoses, we're going to just be assuming stuff based off of what yeah. we read we're not gonna this that's why i wanted to reiterate so much at the beginning of like how this is in no way like a professional diagnosis because there's so many things that are missing that we're still just filling in the gaps based off of like the little information we have just just for the fun of it but yeah uh, thank you for uh diagnosing akechi goro should we should we tell him like what happens by his story at the end or i mean so, we did say spoiler warning <laughs> yeah i mean do you want a section where we just spoil like spoil the game we just gush about it well i i feel like you know if i were listening to this and i heard about a catchy like i want to hear how his story ends. or you know what Maybe maybe let's talk about it after because my character is directly involved with the ending of this game. Okay. Yeah. Let's and do that. on that note, uh the character I am going to be talking about unless you had something else you wanted to mention about Akechi. No, I'm sure we can we revisit it in, a, in you know once we're done with your case study and everything. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Um the character I'm going to be talking about uh Takuto Maruki I mean, the, almost everybody just calls him Maruki in the game, so I'm just going to do the same here. Yeah. Uh, he is, throughout the game, like, they're the school counselor, uh, as we talked about earlier, or maybe we didn't, I don't know if we talked, I don't know if we were recording. That he was I, a school counselor? No, I don't think so. Yeah, okay. That. Okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Maruki's like the school counselor for the high school that uh, all of the main characters uh, attend. What is the name of it? Uh, the high school again Shu shujin shujin academy. academy i was gonna say gecko con high but i think that's persona 3 that's persona 3 <laughs> on the brain oh yeah that's coming out soon yeah um yeah so he's like this high school counselor um in all of the main characters aside for one or two go to this high school and this is how they know each other and they like kind of bonded over shared trauma of certain things and whatnot but uh maruki has been like kind of the centerpiece of them all 
he has counseling sessions with them and he also went through his own stuff that uh, I'm about to describe right now. Um, what was like, I might've mentioned already, uh, what was pretty fascinating about him is he kind of starts off as this passive, like interesting, uh, supporting character to the protagonists. He is not a playable character. Um, but you interact with him pretty much every chance you get at the visual during the life simulator aspect of the game where you go around talking to people you you usually want to talk to maruki definitely want to do so because unless you get like the rating for him high enough uh you won't even unlock the final third of the game the game will just end right um there's like a whole other section uh of the game a whole other like 40 hours or so of this game that is unlocked if you get your like relationship level with him at to the highest rank but with that being said there's a lot of stuff that happens to him before the events of this game that are sometimes shown during flashbacks but once again are just kind of like pieced together where uh, somebody on the <laughs> persona 5 wiki pieced together so i'm going to go ahead and talk about him now before he was a high school counselor he was working as a, a research scientist um, for some university, but while he was working there, his fiance was experiencing debilitating grief. She was even in a hospital. She was mute. She was not talking to anybody because her parents were murdered in, I think it was like a, was it a break-in entry? Like they were Something murdered like in her that. home overnight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I forget if she witnessed it as well or if she just heard about it. Obviously, she was very affected by this. Mm -hmm. So in like a desperate attempt to cure his wife's grief, he made a deal with it's not it's not even considered a persona, is it? It was just like some random being demon thing. there's gods and like demigods and, and things involved in this franchise right um yeah yeah okay suspend disbelief right yeah it's, <laughs> exactly. it's fictional and all, like. <laughs> totally gotta suspend disbelief to, to play video games for the most part anyways um but yeah so he made a deal with this being i didn't even catch his name that this being's name i'm not sure if the being was named but it grants him this ability in the game. It's called actualization. And that is a reference to uh, some other psychology concept that I'm going to talk about later. Um, but for the sake of the game, he gains this power called actualization. What it does for him is it grants him the ability to manipulate anybody's like cognition. And Maruki has like such a good heart that he wants to help everybody and kind of feels right. like they shouldn't experience grief. So what he right. ends up doing with this actualization thing is, or actualization ability, is kind of wiping out grief for everybody. And um, the first person he uses this on, I believe, is his wife in the hospital because she's experiencing, like, potentially a prolonged grief disorder. And he wants to cure her of that. So... He does that. He uses his ability, but unfortunately, in wiping out her grief, he wipes out all of her memories of him. So they like she just no longer remembers him or remembers who mm -hmm. he is. Doesn't know that that was her boyfriend, fiance. Doesn't have any of the shared memories together. So this, you know, is, is pretty debilitating to maruki he's fascinated by this power but he's also like grieving because now he kind of essentially lost his fiance uh even though she's not dead she just no longer remembers him so as good as dead to him i don't know that's not true it's not as good as dead but it still is like it'll mess with you right i mean significant other just i don't remember yeah. right 
that's yeah that's tough i know like i i don't know what i'd do if something like that happened anyways i'm not maruki right now so <laughs> so it ends up happening because he's like inspired by like this newfound power he's going to continue his research in cognitive science and science is spelt with like a p in front of it to allude to like psychology mm-hmm. And he's doing this research at the university, but the university, after this thing happens, ends up dropping him um, due to a lack of supporting evidence uh, for this phenomenon, which makes sense. How can you provide concrete evidence um, that this whole metaverse and like this physical manifestation of the psyche exists? And um, turns out behind the scenes, like his research was actually taken by one of the main villains, uh, Masayoshi Shido. Yeah, who you fight later on in the game. But uh, Shido ended up using this ability for his own benefit, or this research for his own benefit. But Maruki didn't know that. So from his point of view, he was just dropped for a lack of evidence and thought that his research for the university just went to waste. So um, he wanted to continue doing this on his own, uh, and which is why he became a high school counselor. He receives like visits from pretty much every playable protagonist in the game. You... This game is, like, split up into three semesters. Right. And you, like, have a certain number of things you could do each day. Um, And one of them is, like, talk to Maruki and Mm -hmm. uh, talk about certain things. Yeah, so throughout the game, you are visiting Maruki. Maruki is, like, talking to the characters, talking to you as the main character. But then you also get cutscenes where he's talking to other characters as well. And this occurs throughout the first two semesters. But then... At the end of the second semester, which is like ends in the middle of November, he eventually departs the high school, the Shujin Academy, to kind of just go and do his own thing. I don't 100% remember why he's leaving. I think he feels like he's just ready to move on or something. And yeah, this there was only a scene, happens. right? Yeah. When I, I remember leave, there like, being it's like a whole sort of... announcement and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. It was like a big thing, but I don't remember what the motivation he told people as to why he was leaving. I, I, I think yeah, I he just felt like, remember. yeah, I, I think he felt like he was just like he did his job there. I'm also pretty sure this only happens once you reach that max level of relationship with him. So then he kind of unfortunately turns into the villain for the final part of the game, which is wild because he was like such a kind and helpful soul. But he eventually awakens kind of his own persona. And he he eventually like fuses the mementos and the real world. I think so. And, and that was him, right? Yeah. It wasn't somebody else. I think with this actualization power, he fuses like the mementos, which is like the collective unconscious with the real world. And this like kind of blurs reality. And Maruki's like kind of evil persona, very much driven by the desire to get rid of grief for the world right. it becomes his driving force now and it turns him he doesn't into want anyone villain. to suffer yeah yeah no suffering he wants to rid the world of pain and suffering by granting them this internal eternal happiness through his actualization power and you know this as we have already seen with his fiance um will wipe their cognition if this were to become a reality mm-hmm. So obviously the main character, the group of them, um, the Phantom Thieves, uh, they are not down with this. So they confront him and he actually offers them a choice to either accept this new reality 
in which none of the characters experience any of the trauma, like no lost loved ones, no, I don't know, mom or dad issues, all of that to be gone if they choose to accept this new reality that he will create. Of course, they don't want that. So, well, actually, the game kind of does something interesting where they give you a choice. So you could choose to accept this reality, and then the game will end early, and you'll you'll kind of get like this post-credits cutscene, then the main protagonist and I think Akechi like kind of look at you suspiciously. They look at the camera suspiciously if you accept his reality and then end the game. So uh, of course, us being completionists, we don't accept this reality. We want to fight against right. it. So we end up fighting against this. And um, this causes like a series of fights where uh, he eventually like summons more powerful personas that uh, you end up fighting. And of course, like if you persist and if you win, you defeat him and his... Oh man, we didn't even talk about the palace objects. When you defeat like a a villain in their palace there's usually like an object that you could take from there that helps them like kind of return to normal so in this case maruki's object was a torch which i found like very symbolic i mean a torch a lit torch you know it provides light provides warmth and all these things all all these like beneficial things i guess uh, positive things I'm not too sure what kind of message the game creators were trying to make there by making his object a torch, but uh, I would assume it has something to do with his like his inner desire to help people and warm and like create light and alluding to Plato's cave of like creating this light and informing the people to get them out of the cave and get them out of the darkness. But yeah, so that's the object in there. And then once you beat him, uh, you take his object, then he returns to normal. He returns the world to normal, defusing them from the mementos. And he erases his false reality that he had created. So he returns reality to normal. Um, They end up kind of doing a time skip a little bit. And you see him as a taxi driver because he like left his job as like a counselor and he actually ends up like helping the main character Joker get to the train station. I think while the government is like kind of chasing him because I think Joker's like eluding arrest or something. Yeah. I thought he was free. I thought, you know, they proved like, hey, he's not a criminal because there is a part where like there's petitions like his friends are doing petitions, right? To get him out of there. He didn't kill anyone. He didn't. I mean, sure, he hurt metaphysical shadows, whatever, right? But, like, they really had nothing on Yeah, him. yeah, totally agree. I mean, he was carrying a BB gun. Maybe that's enough. I thought, I, yeah, I don't, I don't I know. Because I, I, I read that, that there were age government, or not government agents. It just said that agents were, like, chasing him. And I do remember him being chased, but I don't know if they were, like, government or who was chasing him at the end there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember him like trying to get away from someone and Maruki helped get him to the train station to to get him away. It, it was just like a nice full circle moment where Maruki, you know, comes back and helps save them after all, even though he was trying to kill them in one way or another. But yeah, I, I think uh, I wanted to um, return back real quick to talk about Akechi's fate because it's tied in with the end of this game and, and do you remember what happens yeah. or do you want to tell them? No, I, I can yeah. interject. So during Shido's palace, which is kind of like the last palace, right? You're, you're fighting Shido, Akechi's dad, right? So there's a part where, part where Akechi um, dies, right? It's implicated, yeah. right? We don't yeah. get confirmation, right? 
So essentially, he traps himself to defeat his shadow, so the shadow can't can't hurt you or whatever. And so it's mm-hmm. it's you know like he's not a party member anymore after that. So when yeah. the third semester rolls around with Maruki, right, um, Akechi shows up, and the original Vanilla, we just assumed Akechi was gone. He died to see him again in the third semester right that could say a lot about the protagonist like hey is the protagonist like perfect world a place where akechi is alive is that why akechi is with us now and maruki was able to make that happen right with actualization so there's there's the third semester is so good because it's like even akechi like looks at the protagonist also and like no you need to end this right you think my life me being alive is is enough for you to live in this fake world like akechi knows he's gonna die he's dead that's what that's what's implicated he doesn't care he's all like no you don't don't live in this fake world don't do it for me mm-hmm. yeah i mean at, at the end you know when you beat maruki there's like protagonist is on the train right and you do see akechi with like some, i don't know government agent or something or you see him like really quick right do you remember that yeah yeah i do vaguely remember that and then i, I found that weird because i felt like i read that he died so i was like wait i kind of remember akechi though so i don't know but he's alive yeah so, yeah so it's, yeah i don't know if um <laughs> i approve of that um because it kind of it's like okay so what is the reason why he's still alive you know um why wasn't he with the group you know when they said goodbye and and joker's back on his way home also why would joker want to yeah. go back home his parents didn't care yeah have you thought about that? Like, not not <laughs> once at all did parents check in on him, right? They're like, you do your thing, whatever, right? But personal right? time. Uh, did he have any relation to the coffee shop owner? Was he, uh, was that like his uncle? I forget. No. No, I don't think so. No. I don't know what the relation yeah. is. I know in Persona 4, the protagonist lives with his uncle, so parents send him, you know, to uh, his uncle. But I don't know in P5. And there's anything yeah. like that. It might have just been some ran- random dude who took pity on him. And I mean, he's not random in the game because you eventually like uh, learn more about him and interact more with him. And he kind of becomes your father figure. Okay. So yeah, that I'm, I'm glad we saved the Akechi talk for now. Or like Akechi's conclusion um, for now. Yeah. So uh, with that being said, yeah. So some of the site concepts that I mentioned and that we, we have both already said a few times is actualization. Um, this is clearly a, a reference to Maslow's hierarchy of needs in which like self-actualization is at the top of this pyramid slash hierarchy. And this hierarchy is like I just said, it is a pyramid um, with the stuff on the bottom is like kind of more of the basic stuff, like a physical need, like food, water, warmth and rest. Mm-hmm. And then as you move higher, it becomes a bit more psychological and then the highest of self-actualization, it becomes self-fulfillment needs. Um, some people will describe this as like achieving your full potential. Yeah, uh, whatever that embodies to you. So the fact that Maruki received this power called actualization is also symbolic in that this might be what the directors were like, envi- or not the directors, but like what Maruki was envisioning of, of just like being his best self is being able to get rid of it's grief purpose. for everybody. It's purpose and yeah. meaning, right? Yeah. yeah. I was just like, damn, I love that. <laughs> I love that they include like all these concepts and interweave them into the story. But yeah, so Maslow himself was just a psychologist 
artist in like the 30s to 60s ish era he helped create like the humanistic approach to psychology which uh was a bit different at the time because this referred to treating the patient as like a whole person rather than just a person with these symptoms and illnesses that need to be cured um so it looked at the people as or it looked at each patient as a person as opposed to an illness or something like that yeah put more emphasis on the positive aspects of humans and through treatment um, it, they sought to help people obtain their highest possible potential in the form of self-actualization and yeah like i said this self-actualization only occurs after all other needs are met so I think with that being said, yeah, we, we have the self-actualization, uh, but other than Maslow, some other concepts that came into play with are with uh, Maruki's fiance. Her name's Rumi. As I might have briefly mentioned, she might have suffered from a prolonged grief disorder or potentially catatonic depression. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail on this like I will with Maruki's case study, but um, just to quickly summarize it, the prolonged grief disorder was a relatively new one. And Joe, thank you for pointing this one out to me. This has, yeah, it's, it's like an intense feeling of persistent and prolonged grief that is interfering with their daily life, which is kind of what Rumi was suffering from and why she wasn't right. speaking. And but then this, this disorder think, was uh, recently added as well. I don't, I don't mean to cut you off. Um, no, 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 this was something like newly added because I think when we were in school, this wasn't, this is not in the DSM, right? Yeah. I didn't remember this at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm appreciative that you knew about this and sent it to me. Another potential di diagnosis that I think Rumi could have had would be catatonic depression. In this case, like catatonia, it has different, uh, what is it called? Like it surfaces differently for each person, but in this one, it would be her inability to really like function. Right. Like she is so depressed in a depressed mood for the majority of the day that she is unable to like function. She has no pleasure in anything. She's either sleeping all day or maybe stays awake all night. Yeah, there, there's a whole list of symptoms I could read that she might have fit this criteria. So that was another quick thing for Rumi. Back to Maruki, uh, we I did a, a case study write up as, for him as well. So I'm going to go ahead and just like read through that. Go for and it. And then, yeah. Um, yeah, talk about some of the diagnoses that he might suffer from. So Maruki is a young adult male who is currently a high school counselor. Maruki experienced great grief when his fiance dealt, uh, who was dealing with depression due to the murder of her family, no longer spoke to Maruki and was virtually unresponsive in the hospital. So Maruki used his powers to erase his fiancée's mind, causing her to forget him, and sent Maruki into a grief state due to her perceived loss of a loved one. Mm -hmm. Maruki then became a high school counselor to help others with their suffering. Maruki eventually leaves the school and becomes obsessed with the thought of providing eternal happiness to everyone. This causes Maruki to attack his previous students, who he was a counselor to, in an attempt to convince them to see his point of view. Maruki even goes so far as to hold hostage to one of the students, Kasumi, or Sumire, um, during a fit of rage, which he does eventually release her um, and gives over to the Phantom Thieves. Or, sorry, he doesn't give, well, he does give them to the Phantom Thieves, but, and gives the Phantom Thieves a deadline of which to accept his role, his offer mm -hmm. of providing the world with eternal happiness. And after having his offer rejected, Maruki attacks the Phantom Thieves, ultimately losing the battle and returning to his previous caring self. So what we see here, there's definitely a hint of the antisocial personality disorder here that you described with Akechi. 
I, I noted a few symptoms there, but I knew you were going to be talking about it. So I focused a bit more on post-traumatic stress disorder, which okay. does seem to be something else he might be suffering from. Once again, with a lot of these disorders, you have a list of criteria that must be met. There'll be like five plus different sections that'll say stuff like... I'm, I'm reading it right now. For example, for post-traumatic stress disorder, exposure to actual or threatened death, serious injury, injury, or sexual violence in one or more of the following ways. So in this case, we saw uh, Maruki have a traumatic event occur to someone close to him. So while he wasn't a direct witness, he was still somebody, someone he loved was directly affected by it. Um, he also experienced somewhat dissociative reactions, recurrent distressing memories of the event. So another criteria is that he might assume he is avoiding the situation, the situation being like dealing with his loss of a loved one, his perceived loss of a loved one. And we could also argue that he has persistent negative beliefs about the world um, due to his desire to get rid, rid of grief for everybody and a persistent negative state when he kind of enters his, activates his persona. Um, as well as a detachment from those he previously cared about, which is pretty important considering he was like the counselor to these children. And now he, in his like angry state, has detached from them. And this plays into a, one of the final criteria that he was irritable and reckless destructive behavior, um, which is apparent in his desire to pretty much kill the Phantom Thieves if they didn't accept his offer. He was ready to fight. Yeah. So when you combine all of these, what was that? Sorry. I was just saying he was ready to fight. Right? He gave them a deadline. Oh, yeah. He either challenge me or accept a world without totally. struggle. Yeah, it was wild. But yeah, so he, uh, he he could arguably have had post-traumatic stress disorder and that could have triggered some things and caused him to, I don't know, enter this state of rage. And uh, once again, like we're, we're just kind of stretching the truth here just to see, you know, what thing they might fit into. Right. But... I think that kind of concludes it for persona segment of this. Um, you know, we uh, talked in length about the characters that we were pretty passionate about. Tried to describe as much as possible the uh, other characters, you know, the ones that might have pertained to the story. I didn't think too much about how to conclude this, really. I I know we also want to talk about what we've been playing, and I don't know if we want to talk about news or not, but I put the some of the stuff there. But yeah, was there anything else you wanted to say about Persona before we like shift into the next, the final little segment? Okay. I mean, I think we said a lot. I felt like we went through a lot, especially with, you know, Akechi's and Maruki's case study, right? And again, I just want to say, you know, this is all fictional, right? Suspend disbelief. You know, like, we're just doing this for fun. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like, what would it be like if these characters walked into our office, um, walked into our classroom, and we were in grad school, and they're like, all right, all right, what's the case study diagnosed, right? No, and I mean, there's so much we can go into. I, like, I feel like we do a whole podcast each on, like, character. each semester of the game yeah. and explain it, right? And, and character... And shoot, even every persona, yeah. like a history of the, you know, the lore and all that stuff, you know. But no, I mean, yeah. I think we went through a lot, you know. Again, persona, like if you haven't played these games, these games are amazing. They're very long, though. I will say, you know, these aren't like five, ten hours, right? These are you're gonna be reading a lot. You're gonna be playing, doing a lot of the same stuff. So it's 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 not a chore, but it's like it's a commitment. I mean, what do you think about yeah. persona? 
what I think of Persona, uh, this was my first experience into this game. Um, I loved it. It was a lot. Like I said, it's not like a, it's not a light game. There's a lot of heavy concepts. There's a lot of triggering things in here as well. So if you feel like you're not in the best like mental space to uh, have to deal with a lot of the the stuff that they talk about, um, then yeah, definitely, definitely don't feel like you have to play this game. It's a great game, but it's also pretty heavy on the psych stuff. I like there, there's a lot of like heavy kind of depressing topics in there. As far as like as a video game, I absolutely loved it. It's in like a top five, I think, of all time for me for definitely for RPGs, maybe for just like every video game in general. I, I really love this game and I fell in love with the characters, uh, the gameplay all of it. Uh, it didn't feel like it took 140 hours to beat. It It really just flew by. I, I oh, yeah. love this game. So I'm so glad we had a chance to talk about it. Cool. So yeah, I, I guess now is a good time to then just dive into what else we've been playing. Um, this is going to be the end of our Persona 5 segment. So if you're like, you know, I don't care what, about what they're playing. I'll put a timestamp here. Yeah, so you, can you can just, you know, uh, you know. know to end. <laughs> Thank <laughs> right you for now, listening but... this long if you have been listening this long. Yeah. I know. I was going to say that too. I'm like, I know this was a journey. I know we probably got a little bit rambly. We'll, uh, you know, try to hone in on some stuff um, for future pods. But yeah, thank you so much for listening to the persona discussion so far. Yeah, it's been fun, but cool. Uh, yeah, Joe, tell me, tell me about Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh yeah. Okay, let's get started. Where do I begin? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so Final Fantasy... I played OG Final Fantasy VII, right? That was... Uh, I love Final Fantasy VII, but I didn't grow up with it. So mm-hmm. I recently played it when I was in grad school. So I didn't have any nostalgia factor with it, right? And I think I remember telling you, like, hey, I, I'm probably not going to play the remake until I finish the OG. Yeah. <laughs> Finally finished the OG, and I was like... I saw what Rebirth had to offer, and I was like, you know what? Let me jump into remake. So I think from early January, I put in about, what, like 30... 435 hours into remake you know it was wild and this was one of my slower weeks of work so and i was a little upset that it was a slower week because you know we just got (laughs) back from the holidays spending money right um but it worked out i mean i i i just flew through that game and i have much more an appreciation of cloud Aerith, Mm -hmm. barrett right uh, tifa it's so so different from the og because like even in remake, do you remember the whispers or like those little ghost guys that like, um, and oh, their yeah. purpose? Yeah, that's not in OG at all. Like it, it's like to kind of keep them on their the the time the main yeah. timeline, correct? And then they're obviously trying to fight against it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, this is more kind of like actiony, right? But it also has RPG elements where you can stop time a little bit. And, you know, do a cross slash, you know, uh, focus mm-hmm. thrust or whatever. It was just a really good time, you know, um, going through the game yeah. as Cloud. You know, this all takes place in Midgar and in, in the OG version. Midgar was maybe five or six hours. You know, you could probably speed run through it, you know. So the fact that Remake was just all Midgar, I was like, huh, okay, interesting. But no, I mean, I had a lot of fun with it, you know. And I love the battle system. The summons are cool, you know. And then I was able to even play Intergrade, you know, because I wanted mm-hmm. to get this all all out of the way before rebirth i mean there's so many games coming out we, we keep talking about like a dragon infinite wealth persona 3 dragon's dogma it's just like there's so much stuff right Ooh. um so i'm glad i was able to get through all of that i mean yeah. it was it was a really good time 
I know. Yeah, I, I I played this. I played the remake. I never played the original, um, but I played the remake when it first came out and absolutely loved it. Uh, so much so that that's going to be our next episode, which we'll probably put out at the same time as this one. So if you like this, go ahead and uh, check out our uh, Final Fantasy VII remake discussion. Um, we kind of wanted to do it around the same time Final Fantasy VII Rebirth comes out and uh, we're eventually going to do that as a pod too. But yeah, I'm glad you had a great time with it. That game was so fun. Uh, have you been playing anything else? Or I mean, that's that's kind of like a lot. Two it RPGs was a lot. Back to back. Yeah, because I, I was like, I need to get this done before Persona 3, right before Tekken 8, yeah. Yakuza. Right? So I was able to do that. Um, other than that, oh, yeah. I played the free part of the DLC for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Oh, right, right. Yeah, there's like a new Pokemon called Petra Runt where it yeah. like enchants people. And make some dance and ask for mochi. Uh, That's cute. <laughs> it's cute. It's wild. Huh. You know, at first I was like, eh, do I really care? It, w- it was worth the hour. I mean, it was really cute. You get some good fights in there. Oh. and Nice. I-, I love Pokemon, so whatever they- they'll give me, I'll play. You know? Yeah. Not too harsh on those games because working, right, and other responsibilities, I'll take what I can get. But yeah, I mean, I had fun with it. Highly recommend Final Fantasy VII Remake if, you know, anyone out there is like, yo, is there something I can play, you know, or Rebirth mm-hmm. is just around the corner, in, you know, in a month from now. So, yeah, I yeah. Mean, that's what yeah, I've been playing, been, you know. What about you? It's been so soon. Yeah, uh, so I've been playing Sea of Stars, which is funny because I felt like I really fell in love with that game. And then I hit this part and I was just like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to get through this game anymore. And then, of course, I, like, fought through that. And then I ended up beating it just a couple days ago. And really happy I did because that story, I feel like, concluded very well. There was a lot of heartfelt moments in that game. And uh, it kind of gripped me unexpectedly. I wasn't expecting to, like, fall this deep into the game. I know you were thinking of playing it. Mm -hmm. But probably not anytime soon. I also don't really want to... Uh, I'll put spoiler warning here. It, is that okay if yeah. I talk about the game? A Go bit? for it. Yeah, I'm not okay. gonna. I, I, you know, I love what Sea of Stars does. Right, I've seen reviews. Yeah, but man, this year is so packed with games that the backlog is not gonna have a chance to to get I worked know. on. No way. I know. I think that's why I wanted to um, get it out of the way. Not get it out of the way, but experience it now before more stuff drops. But yeah, I'll. Spoiler warning for Sea of Stars right now. So I thought I was about to fight the final boss, uh, which came out about two thirds of the way through the game because you go through this area called the Sea of Stars, which is literally it's kind of like at the end of oh shit. Spoiler warning for Starfield. It's kind of like the end of Starfield where okay. before the loop occurs, where you um, are in this like like the fourth or fifth dimension, I guess, depending on how you're counting it, and you see all these different universes and stars and stuff. It's kind of like that, where you're sailing on a boat through a 2D depiction of this, of just like you're sailing through a bunch of stars through the sky, but then it does something kind of incredible, and it shifts to 3D for a little bit. And then you are going towards this black hole in like now a three-dimensional space. Kind of looks like Starfield. Um, like it feels like it was animated well enough where it legit kind of looked like Starfield. It looked a bit more realistic graphics-wise. And then you enter the black hole. And I was like, 
oh shit, let's go, final boss, I'm ready for it. But then one of your main character, one of the characters in your party is just like, uh, yeah, so welcome to my world. And uh, I actually kind of lied to you guys this whole time because I needed your help. Uh, the main, the, the final boss that you want to kill is actually here. So this is going to be a two for one. Like you can help me and we're going to kill the boss together. But yeah, now you're going to have to go and help all these other towns and villages and sail through. It was just like a whole other map of the main game was unlocked. And I was just like, after such a climactic moment of flying into a black hole, I was like very lit down by all of a sudden be like, okay, now let's start over again. And I'm like, God damn it. I really just wanted to enjoy that moment and like, get into the fight and enjoy the end thereafter but yeah there were some slow parts once you get into that new area i i just like try to blaze through them and then i got to the final fight and yeah it, it was still satisfying it was a great conclusion um you actually the, the final like turn-based fight is against like someone uh who you had a relationship with before so there's like um a lot of emotional connection there because uh, they turned evil and then the final, final fight is actually a, uh, what is it called? Where a bullet hell. It turns into oh, a bullet hell. Okay. A yeah. little near automata. For, you ever... Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was giving near automata vibes for sure. Yeah. And so that was like pretty interesting just to, and the, the fight was actually really simple. Um, they, I think they wanted it to be simple because yeah, they, they, after like fighting, doing the main fight mechanic with this big, this big bad villain um they wanted to give you something to easy to go out with so i appreciated that and um yeah there's even some post-game content actually uh i haven't gone back to do it i might go back to do it but yeah overall really enjoyed this game definitely would have been a top 10 last year had i finished it right but yeah the other game i've been playing a lot of is pal world which is making a lot of headlines at oh, the time yes, of this recording Oof, a yeah a lot of it i mean it looks like a really fun game it is. I thought it was just going to be like a meme, but it is actually really fun. Like I'm enjoying it a lot. I've kind of hit a bit of a wall like where I I, I feel like I need a bit more um, incentive to explore. Uh-huh. Like finding new pals or new mons or whatever you want to call them is pretty cool. But after a while, it, it just starts feeling a bit stale when that's all you're doing when you explore is like finding new new monsters to catch or interact with i do know there's some like boss fights in towers and stuff so i I do want to go and seek those out yeah uh i i'm a big fan of like survival game i like, i guess i am now a big fan <laughs> of survival games i didn't really realize it till i started playing this but um yeah i, I enjoy it a lot so it's yeah. it's been a good time yeah that's something I'll wait for like you know f- you know when it, the game is fully released. Um, there's just so many games coming out, right? but Power World is on that list of like I love monster taming games. I think we've talked about monster taming games here and there, right? Oh yeah, no, it looks totally. really fun. I mean, I've been watching streams and and whatnot, and people seem to be enjoying it. So yeah, it's it's a good one. Okay, well, I think we are getting close on our time limit. <laughs> so yes, we are. I think that's going to conclude our first episode. Damn, Joe. You have any uh <laughs> any parting words to commemorate this occasion? Um, let's see. I mean, this was fun. You know, I yeah. I'm doing this right after a day of work, right? I'm still at work, but this yeah. was something to Thank look forward to. 
and this is fun. I mean, we get to chill and chat, right? And mm-hmm. maybe some people will like that, you know? Yeah, you know? I, I hope so. I appreciate any listeners, honestly. Especially if you stuck this long. This is not a short... Yeah. It's not a short podcast. I think we're trying to shoot for two-hour podcasts each time, right? Yeah, and I think we're our release cadence will probably be like every other week. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, or I mean, we'll see. We'll see once we'll we get see, the ball yeah. rolling. But yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I really appreciate everybody for sticking this long, um, staying this long, and listening to us. And um, I appreciate you, Joe, for being able to do the, being willing to do this after a long work day. So. Thank you so much. No, same to you. You know, thank you for, you know, bringing me on and uh, let's do this together, right? I mean, it's yeah, it's a good time. I'm not gonna lie, it's yeah. a good time. Yeah, I think so too. I think so. I've, I've been having a lot of fun with this, even like putting together the documents and stuff. But anyway, so uh, like I might might have mentioned earlier, our next episode is going to be uh, Final Fantasy VII remake. Yeah, we, we're going to have to start working on that, and then we'll record a pod. It'll be a similar vibe of, like, talking about the game and then talking about some characters. So, yeah, uh, yeah we hope you tune into that yeah. one. But, yeah, thank you all so much. Do you, do you, uh, you want to say who we're working on for, you know, what characters, or should we keep that a, a surprise? Oh, uh, I mean, we could tell them. Go for it. Okay. So, I know we're focusing on remake, but uh, I really love Zack as a character. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, and I played Crisis Core back in maybe, you know, 2010 something, 2000, the 2010s, right, on PSP. So I really love Zach and I'll be working on Cloud as well. What about you? Yeah, so um, I'm kind of fascinated by Barrett being like a parent and putting his life on the line for bettering the world for his daughter. So I'm going to be talking about Barrett and I think Aerith as well. We'll see what she's got going on. But yeah, hope you all tune into the next one. And um, yeah, thank you again for listening. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Take care.